Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Coming soon to iOS and Android. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, listener. Do you have something to say? Then you're already a podcaster. You just don't know it yet. Whether you love to shoot the breeze with friends, have an urge to share your passions with the world, or even want to grow your business, you've got something worth saying with a podcast. With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start your own show. Launch, grow, and make money from your podcast across all listening platforms. If you have something to say, you're a podcaster. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free. Welcome to the Swell Speed, everybody. So I have an interesting episode that I like to post. Um, I was invited on Instagram Live to hang with Paul of Terroir NY. That's his Instagram name. He does these Instagram Live videos that are so captivating. He's an eclectic interviewer and so fun and so energetic. Um, I was very excited and overly prepared. I wrote down all the questions and the answers well, I tried to get on Instagram live to join him on Tuesday and I can, my screen completely freezes. So, um, long story short, there was a glitch. There is a glitch in my Instagram app that I later found out. Um, yeah, we tried on Tuesday and then we tried again yesterday and Instagram just wasn't trying to let me be great. So I invited Paul to record an interview with me on on zoom you know like i usually do for swirl sweet podcast and uh, of course he obliged and we had a great interview so here it is i will also post the unedited version on our youtube page so you can see and hear us if you so choose i hope you like it because i had a great time and thanks paul for being so patient and using this alternative platform with me cheers So, listen, the way I love to do these things, um, I assume you might feel the same way. I just want to have a conversation with you. Okay. As if we were meeting in my little joint in New York City, getting to know each other, and mm-hmm. then what? And then obviously there's some ideas for some topics in there that I would love to, to broach upon, but I just want to learn about you, primarily your wine journey. So, where I began yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, third generation D.C. resident. Yeah. Growing up in a family that was or was not wine, food, interested, centric, any of that shit? No, uh, wine was never on my table. My family was more of a beer drinkers and um, they love cognac. So no, no wine on my table. But I mean, food is always essential. I mean, I'm black, so food is always going to be a central point of everything. So my mom can cook down. She cooks really well. And I have an uncle that's a chef. Um, he was a chef in the Navy. 
and um, he doesn't live in town. He lives in Ohio, but um, I can remember on holidays, he, he also works at a hospital now, so he gets up super early. And I used to get up with him on holidays and just watch him cook during the holidays. So watching him and watching my mom, you know, that's where I sort of learned the cooking language, the language of food or whatever. And then, you know, I was raised by a single mom. So <clears throat> if I wanted something, I would cook dinner. As like my room was clean, the house was clean, you know, I would cook dinner. And if there was like a box cake in the kitchen or in the cabinet somewhere, I would make a cake. So my mom would come home to a clean house and dinner on the table. I, you know, how, I, how, old, how old were you when you were doing this? Uh, 14. Holy yeah. shit. What would you make for your mom? Uh, I mean, it would be something uh, simple like spaghetti. But, you know, it'd be something, one less worry for her. But, I mean, I wasn't slick. She'd come home and look around and be like, what do you want? What are you up to? You know. But, yeah, that was one of, food has always been one of my languages. Uh, what dishes can you remember your uncle cooking for those special occasions? Oh, he's a big meat person, even though I'm not. So, ribs. Ribs on the grill is was his specialty. But, I mean, he's a chef, so he's had to learn how to cook everything. Um, and uh, let's see, his fried chicken is just, it's so pretty that you don't want to eat it. It's, yeah, he can cook pretty much everything, yeah. So, do you know the secret for his fried chicken? I do not. I don't. When I fried you never chicken, asked? Enough, you know, I never even thought to ask. Cause I are, you, are you allowed to ask for that type of information from a family? I am like, allowed to ask. Yeah, family. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I should ask. I'm going gonna, I'm so, gonna to send him a text. Yeah. So when you say it looks pretty, I, I have never made fried chicken. The closest I'd come um, because of my Riesling love would be Wiener Schnitzel. Or I grew okay. up in an Italian household at an Italian restaurant, so we would call it veal milanese. Oh, okay. And so in terms of the, um, not just the type of oil, but you could mm -hmm. fry it in olive oil, canola oil, schmaltz, mm -hmm. uh, butter, yeah. So which which one of those you choose would influence the fry? You know, uh, and I think he uses good old lard. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I also learned, and it took me a long time to get this, I used to prep well in advance of doing sure. schnitzel because okay. it would mess up the goddamn kitchen. Yeah. But I heard from some good sources that you have to do the breading just before you put it in the pan. If you do sure. it in advance, a greater risk of the breading sticking to the meat. Yeah. And then, like the measure of success, and I don't know if this applies to your uncle's pretty fried chicken, you want air, you have to be able to pick up your knife and stick it between the fry and the meat. There had to be air. If you got the air, like okay. you could just look at that. So when you speak about pretty, for me, a pretty schnitzel is one that is puffy. Ah, okay. So how do you, so what's pretty fried chicken? Well, for me, it's just, like an even color of golden brown and really crunchy but juicy what? inside so did the crunchiness come from the type and the amount of breading or did it come from how long you fried it it has to be from the breading it has to be okay yeah all right, cool. So for those special occasions, and mm -hmm. again, I grew up in an Italian restaurant household. My background is in all things, history, culture, Western European. So mm -hmm. the 
a, a special occasion, regardless of what was on the table, there had to be a bottle of wine there. So on those special occasions for your family, with your uncle cooking, mm -hmm. was it still primarily beer and cognac and beverages of that nature? Or would someone say, you know what, it's, I don't know, Christmas, it's Easter, we've got a goddamn bottle of wine. I don't think so, no. All, back in the day, I only remember beer and cognac on the table. So what was your first wine experience? I mean, of course, it was sort of the cheap stuff in college. Um, nothing great, just sort of like liquor store, uh, $10, $10 wine or whatever. But my real experience with wine was probably um, my first visit to Napa. And um, I was in my mid-20s, um, not even 30 yet. But um, it, yeah, I was, I was there for a wedding and I decided to uh, extend my day a little bit and just drive around Napa by myself. And there was no DPS or, <laughs> you know, anything fancy like that. So I had all these papers of maps, you know, that I printed out from MapQuest. And I just went from winery to the winery. And I remember standing on the top of a hill. I don't know if you've ever been to Artessa Vineyards before. So Artessa in Napa. But it's at the top of a hill and it has, it has an art gallery inside. And it has this huge sculpture outside of the tasting room. And you can see these rolling hills. And I was, I remember I was drinking their Chardonnay and I was looking around and just sort of feeling the vibe. I was like, damn, so people do this all the time. People work in this, people build this. This is amazing. And I got home and I never turned back. Um, so I started reading books like Wine 101. I didn't know about Genesis Robinson or the Wine Bible or anything like that yet. So. I was just learning however I could. And then also, D.C. is a great place to just, I don't know, just be educated. So <clears throat> most of the wine shops in D.C., their distributors come to the wine shops on Friday evenings for free tastings or whatever. So at the time, I had a long commute. I was living in D.C., but I worked way in Bethesda. It's like, uh, it's not far by our car, but on the train, it's a little while. So it's like an hour. Is this the government job? Yeah, yeah. What is the government job, if I can ask? Well, um, I you recognize... You work for the CIA? <laughs> Do you work for the CIA? No. Are you like a, are you like a fucking secret agent? You no. Say it. No. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I work for Health and Human Services. I'd rather not say the agency because people are going to swarm you with questions that I don't have answers to. But uh, I work in healthcare, and I do. Yeah, I'm. You're Doctor Fauci. You're Doctor Fauci's right hand lady. Is that it? <laughs> no. That's what you're fucking telling me. God damn it. Okay. Okay. No. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. Um. So, I would go to all of these tastings on Friday nights and um just learn about different wines. That's really how I expanded my palate. And uh, back to the Napa. Did yeah. you? Did you know which wineries you wanted to go to or was just driving around and, oh, they're open, I'll go there? Um, what I did was I tried to map out as many wineries as I can make in a day. And in Napa, they, they open pretty early. So some of them open like eight, nine o'clock. So I started in the morning and I just drove around. And um, no, I had no idea what wineries I wanted to go to. Whoever was on the map in my path, those are the ones that I went to. Of course, as I talked to locals, um, they gave me more and more wineries to go to as the day went on. But no, mm -mm, I didn't know. And it was my first ever 
time at a winery. I had never even been to a local one at that point. Did you, did you allow the people in the tasting room to guide you or did you want to do it all on your own? You just grabbed the glass, tasted it, and then made your own mental notes. No, I let them do their spill. Uh, you know, until this day, I still let people just do their job and, and talk to me about the wine, how they would talk to anybody else. Yeah. How many wineries did you visit that day? Ooh, mm, if I had to count, I want to say like seven or eight. Because I was by myself, I didn't. I know. Like, yeah, I didn't hang at any one. I just wanted to experience them all and, you know, head back to Sacramento where, where I was staying. So, Artessa, you remembered up on the hill looking down, sculpture. Yeah. Was there another winery that resonated with you that day or a wine? Mm, not really. Not really. It was just the whole experience. And Artessa was the one that stuck out the most. Gotcha. Yeah. So you get back to Sacramento, you yeah. fly home to DC, mm -hmm. and then you land in DC, you get home, mm -hmm. and what do you say to yourself about this world of wine? Uh, well, <laughs> I said to myself, well, I'm broke because I have so much wine in my suitcase. And, <laughs> and two, I, I want to know how this industry works. I want to know how people get to work in a tasting room or start to make wine. I want to know the backstories behind it all. Um, and I want to taste more wine from other places. So that's well, what, what, do you, mm -hmm. what do you think was it that pulled you in? Like, do you think maybe if you had done that with a bunch of friends who were also at the wedding, it would have just been a cool day trip, Napa Valley, check that off the list, mm. you know, and then mm -hmm. back to normal life. But no, you, you dove deep. So something must have struck you that day. Yeah. What was it? You know, I don't know. I, like I said, it was the vibe. I had never experienced anything like that before. I was sipping Chardonnay, you know, surrounded by people who didn't like me. I mean, didn't like me, didn't look like me. I didn't too much care about that. It was just a really good feeling. I was sipping great wine, had a great view, and I had never done that before. So you're back in D.C. Yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, you and Dr. Fauci are solving problems of the goddamn world. Oh, my God. Even, even, even then, you're the one who said it, not me. What can I say here? Um, and when do you get that job working at Black Ankle Vineyards? Because that was your first wine job, right? Well, uh, technically, yes. So I had like a little underground job before that. Um, the more you're a spy, right? <laughs> God damn it. Damn it, Talia. No, there was a woman who uh, worked at a really, really big wine chain, and we became friends. And what she did was she collected people who wanted to learn more about wine, and she hired them to do tastings in the area at different wine shops, kind of like distributors do. But distributors weren't doing it so so much so like in this area. So, yeah, she had a little business going on. I don't know how legit it was, but we got paid, and... Yeah, I used to go to different um, liquor stores, you know, in the area and um, just do poor wine. Just a poor wine. That was technically my first job. but That was um, a down low. Yeah, it was on a down low. Working but, for the CIA, yeah. disguised as a wine <laughs> tasting person. And then you go to Black Ankle Vineyards. You said that yeah. was in 15? Yes, yes. So I got to uh, Black Ankle Vineyards and um, they had just opened that... Gosh, they had just opened a few months before I started. They opened in October. I started in February. So, um, 
And then why? Would it, you, you still have, are you still the government secret agent today? <laughs> you mean, do I still work for the government? Yeah. Right now? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, so that's the full time gig. Yeah. So at Black Ankle, you were there on the weekends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seven days a week. Holy smokies! What do you yeah, rest? Yeah, I. You know, I didn't work both days of the weekend all the time, but most Saturdays, uh, I was there, and it's. From DC is about a over an hour, hour fifteen minute drive. I mean, it's a quiet drive, but yeah. What made you want to dip your toe into that part of the wine world? Mm, well, I just wanted to work where the wine where the wine was coming from. I wanted to I wanted to learn about where the wine was coming from. And the thing is, I didn't know anything about Black Ankle either. Um, I, that was by luck. I had actually emailed all the wineries in Maryland to see who was hiring. And Ask, she, how many wineries are there in Maryland? I don't think I've ever had a Maryland wine. Oh God, you've never had a Maryland wine? What? Virginia, well, ah, calm down, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> Virginia, yes, because you know Horton Vineyards? Yeah. So Horton, back in the 90s, had distribution in New York. They were probably mm -hmm. the most famous one up here. They're Viognier, rock yeah. and roll. Uh, arguably the best Viognier in the country. Um, maybe one or two others, I guess Barbersville, a lot of money behind sure. that. So they made a play. Yeah. Fox Tree is another. And then North Carolina, I've had that grape juice before. Mm -hmm. But Maryland, zero. Well, that's a shame. And I'll blame you for that, that. goddammit. You got to change. We got to change that. No, there okay, are so how many wineries? There are over 80 wineries in Maryland now. Seriously? Seriously, yeah. Okay, so you knock on the door of Black Ankle Vineyards and say, so a, a, a senior wine associate is what? Oh, I work in a tasting room. And the thing is, okay. I, was, I, was, I had been there so long, I just knew so much about the wine and the whole process. So eventually I got the title senior tasting room associate, but I worked in the tasting room. Awesome. And... Did they educate you in the totality of the world of wine? So you got to go to the vineyard. You understood how all this shit was happening. Sure. And the thing is, when you work for uh, a couple like Ed and Sarah, those are the owners, they, um, they traveled all around the world to study wine. And then they studied wine, how to make wine in Maryland with Maryland soil. So they weren't trying to grow like California grapes in Maryland. They were just trying to learn the soil of the property that they had and how to grow great wine. And so they make French style wine. I looked up big time. Yeah, they and, make Bordeaux style wines, yeah. And because I'm an ignoramus when it comes to black ankle vineyards and you're gonna take my hand and guide me, what are the one or two wines for black ankle do you think are extremely representative of the Maryland Piedmont region? Um, there's a Leafstone Syrah, okay, that's one of their, that's their high-end Syrah, and then, oh, I'm gonna go on a limb here, and I'm gonna say they're Albarino. Ooh, heard, that's a limb, that's okay. a very tenuous limb you are uh -huh. out on there, god they, damn they, it. All, they also make a Gruner, so watch out. Uh, not, I, I will commit the sin of trying to, um, simplify Maryland wine down. Do you think there's one variety that Maryland 
or I, guess, I don't want to say a style of wine, but a variety that you think could really shine or does really shine in Maryland? Um, I mean, Viognier. I mean, just like Virginia, our, our weather and our soil grows Viognier and makes Viognier extremely, extremely well. So I'm going to go with Viognier. But that's not one of your faves. It, you know, I had so much of it. I think I just got tired of it for a while and I didn't want to create that sort of seller palette where I was drinking the same shit all the time. So, but no, Viognier is good. It's really hard to find a good one now that I don't work at a winery. <laughs> were, were you so sick of the Viognier when people would come into the tasting room and say, oh my God, I want to try the Viognier. You just rolled your eyes and walked away. Did you ever do that? Please. No. no. <laughs> it's just you and I. No one's going to fucking know. <laughs> all right, so let's switch topics a slight bit, uh, back to food, but food and wine, you say your superpower mm. is matching said food and wine. And apparently for you, ox or oots, salt and vinegar chips, is it ox? It's ox. Ox. Yeah. Salt and vinegar potato chips and Chablis. Yeah. Doth explain. Okay, so this is what happened. When I first started my blog in 2013, one of the things I wanted to do was pair wine with items that I have had in my life or had in my kitchen. So I was like, all of these blogs that I read, they're matching wine with like goat cheese or caviar or some shit I don't have on a regular basis. What if I just use snacks that we eat? So I went to corner store and um, it's one's the, one of the corner stores that I grew up going to. And I just picked up everything from Cheetos. So you remember Chico Sticks? Yeah, Chico Sticks in Canada? No? Okay. Anyway, uh, Chico Sticks, Reese's Cups, uh, M&Ms, and an assortment of potato chips. And I had probably like eight wines, eight different wines. And one of them was an unoaked Chardonnay. And I was like, well, let's just see what matches. And I remember the Chablis pairing very well with the Uts salt and vinegar. Also, the Chablis paired very well with Funyuns. You ever had Funyuns? I, I want like to hide myself in shame. <laughs> no. I mean, it's just like um, if you were to freeze dry it on your ring, that's what it tastes gotcha. like. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I discovered that pairing, and uh, it's been one of my faves ever since. Have you ever redone that show? Or not that show, that, that conversation on the blog? Uh, I, it's been a while, but yes, I have, yeah. We attempted something similar um, as in the restaurant business, we're all scrambling to figure out ways to interact with guests to, you know, all get down to the brass tacks, get more money in the front door. Um, and so virtual wine tastings are a thing that we are doing. And one of the topics we came up with what to drink with Chef Boy RG. And unfortunately, it did. Uh, we only had two folks sign up. I don't know if it was the day of the week we did at the time or the fact that people are like, no way in hell am I having Chef Boy RG. But I grew up on, you know, canned shit and yeah. still love it. Um, and so I want to revisit that idea and take all of that 50, 60, 70 food stuffs. I, I was born in 65, so that was, even though I was in a restaurant family, mm -hmm. we, we still had a lot of canned stuff for yeah. our meals. Yeah. And I thought it was a treat when mom would just, 
crack open a can mm-hmm. and stick that stuff in the saute pot and heat us up some Chef Boyardee. Nothing sure. tastes fucking better. So yeah. we're going to revisit that and figure mm-hmm. out some wine matches one of these goddamn You know things. what else I wanted to do? Um, well, also, another way I learned, um, I educated myself about wine was watching Gary Vee's videos, his old wine library videos. And I used to watch them every day. And there's this one guest that he had on there. And this guy, he blogged about frozen food, like frozen TV dinners, Hot Pockets, all the frozen stuff. And so Gary Vee, he paired some wines with some of the frozen, his, the, the guy's favorite frozen dinners that he bought. I've always, so I'll try that next. <laughs> you, you remind me that I skipped over something. So hmm. return back to that Napa trip, getting back to DC. Yeah. What you mentioned some books that I'm that I don't know if you bought them or what were the first wine books that you put in your collection on the shelf? Because I'm gathering Gary V's pod, which mm-hmm. um, or video things. They were yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, they were. Um, yeah. Like him wearing the new the I guess the New York Jets helmet and all yeah. of that shit that he used to do. Yeah. But what were the first books that you bought? Honestly, to be honest, all of the one-on-one books, the yellow. (laughs) Yeah. So Wine 101, uh, French Wine 101, like all of those books I bought used from Amazon until I knew what the real, you know, some real reference books were. Um, And then I was introduced to Lori Forrester. You know Lori Forrester? No? Okay. She's from this area. She's like a comedian now or some shit. But anyway, she was really big in wine at the time. And she did a lot of speaking engagements and she had a tiny book. um, God, I forgot the name of it, but it was like a wine 101 book, how to talk like a wine expert and how, you know, that kind of thing. So I took one of her, I took her course. She had an online course and it came with a book and uh, yeah, those, those were the first books. And then eventually wine folly came along and then, that was probably the first real reference book that was fun that I got. And then of course the wine Bibles and so on and so on. So if if I was to, (laughs) if you were allowing me to cross your threshold and I was to look at your wine book library right now, what is the book that you are most proud of to have in your collection? Ooh, let's see. Uh, Andre Max 99 bottles. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. And why are you proud. and why are you choosing that? Uh, it's so him. He didn't deviate from himself. He's telling stories and talking about wine. And because I've met him in person several times, it's like, ah, you didn't even you didn't lose yourself in wine. It's it's just you talking about wine. I appreciate that. As you can tell, I'm putting on a guise right now because I am nothing without the world of wine. I am complete opposite of Andre Mack. He's got the shit. I'm aspiring to be like Mr. Mack. <laughs> God damn it. So let's go to, so the, the blog begins in 13. Yeah. Squirrel Suite begins 2015, mm-hmm. roughly. Yeah. So how did you get together with Tanisha, Gwyneth, and Leslie? Well, um, the more seasoned I got into wine blogging, I started to get invited to wine events. Again, DC is a great place to educate yourself. So because we have all of these embassies, um, I would get invited to embassy tastings and 
fancy French tastings and all these restaurant tastings or whatever. And um, I, I, but I actually met Leslie at Black Ankle. She was doing some research for her business, Vino 301, and I yep. did her tasting. And we sort of bonded in that moment and became colleagues and like friends at that point. And I started to see her at different wine fests. I saw her at one wine fest. She introduced me to Tanisha, who was teaching a course at um, Prince George's County. She was teaching a wine course um, at the at the local college here. And she was speaking at the wine fest that we were at. Then, um, let's see, I started to see Tanisha more. Then Tanisha introduced me to Glennis, who had been a wine blogger already for some time now. And uh, we actually had a fifth member um, for a number of years, and she was called the Liquor Lady. <clears throat> and uh, she specialized <laughs> She specialized in the spirits industry. So originally it was five of us. And um, we just kept seeing each other at these different events and just nerding out on spirits and wine and beer and whatever. And I looked around one day and was like, nobody knows this is happening. This has to be captured in some way. So at the time, YouTube was a, a really big thing. People were doing, you know, YouTube shows. I was like, what do you guys say? We do a YouTube show. And um, that's, that's kind of how it started. Um, eventually, maybe like a year or two later, podcasting started to boom. And I just turned the audio from the YouTube channel to a podcast and we became a swirl suite. Uh, how did... Um, how do you divide stuff up if you divide stuff up or is it really primary you approach each episode as a conversation between the four of you maybe with a guest I love the stuff from the the black wine experience that you did earlier this year yeah but is it do are each of you assigned to come in with a, spe a specific viewpoint or a topic or it's free form it's free form yeah it's freeform. If we have a guest, I will, you know, I'll do production work and I'll send a rundown with all the questions that, you know, we ask. But if it's just us, then no, nah, it's just us. Damn. Yeah. And how has it been? It's still fun, which matters. You know, we're still trying to figure out um, how to get some sponsorship. Um, because the wine industry is tough in that regard, but um, yeah. Well, let me. Um, so it is a business, mm -hmm. and I know that's a stupid question, but you're not just doing this for shits and giggles. Right. You you need to make some cake. Yeah. Yes. Because being a spy point, yeah. doesn't pay like it used to, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, you you said you went to tastings at embassies, and I didn't comment then, but I think you were actually there. <laughs> you were buying on some shit. Anyway, so if you're trying to get. Are you? Other than the money part, the business part of the yeah. pod world, are you happy with the topics, um, the guests, where the pod is at after five years? Has the arc been exactly as you envisioned it? Or did you think it might have gone another direction? No, I'm really happy with our content. I think I thought that we would have, it's hard not to get caught up in the numbers. It's hard not to get caught up that we don't have a sponsor yet. It's, you know, it, as, as a person who's, this is sort of like a, like a baby to me. So to not see it grow for, you know, for some years, we were just sort of flatlined and, you know, I was doing everything I could to try to, you know, try to make it grow and try to expand us, try to get us out there. Um, but uh, 
it, now, now there's, there's a little growth. I definitely see, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with our content. It's, I mean, it's, it's our way. It's the way we want to do a podcast. So I'm very happy with that. And because I've never done one, what are the numbers? What are the thresholds of success that the four of you want to meet? Well, um, right now we probably have like, I don't know, maybe close to 15,000 downloads. There are some people who get that in a month. You know, there are some popular podcasts that get thousands and thousands of, you know, listens and downloads in, in one week. And it would be nice to get to that point. Um, let's see. 5,000 downloads is where, like, a day is what most podcasters aim for. And that, if you, if you ladies were to achieve that, that would immediately get you a sponsor? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Godspeed in getting there. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Um, I want to hone in on this, and hopefully I'll ask the question properly. You, I read this in an interview with you. You said that you need to focus on your words. What did you mean when you said that? Question, when did I say that? You, I forget when this. I Someone was interviewing you about the pod, uh-huh. and the exact quote was, you have acknowledged mm-hmm. having to focus on your words. Yeah. And I love words. And so I am going to ask you what your favorite word is. Yes. But before Um, you get there, what do you mean you got to focus on your words? For what? I do need to focus on my words because I don't think enough people think before they speak. So a lot of times, if you were to, sometimes if you're around me, I'm quiet. I'm not really a talkative person at all. Because uh, I'm always thinking before, and sometimes I overthink before I speak, but I don't think that enough of us, especially in this climate right now, that people think before they write, think before they speak, think how their words are going to affect others. So that's what I meant by that. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it in my favorite word. Hmm. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to oh, let you go there yet. That? Okay, I'm ready. Um, so... I don't want to say that you're a quiet person, Mm -hmm. but if you were always reticent to speak up so quickly, Mm -hmm. you had the time to think um, before you would utter a phrase. Uh, Are you trying to, I guess, respond quicker, respond better? What what is this thing that you're trying to do with these words i get the i get the listening shut the fuck up and listen before you open your goddamn trap yeah and if there's one thing that we i used to work for danny meyer at gramercy tavern and um uh, one of the things we focused on was the idea of hospitality which i think is a word that a lot of us in our business bandy about but very few of us understand it and one of danny's um definitions of hospitality is that it's a conversation. It's, mm-hmm. If you were to come into my joint, it's, a, it's you telling me your expectations for the night, and it's me responding to you and tell you, telling you how I'm going to fulfill those expectations of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be a great conversationalist, you need to be a great listener. listener. Mm-hmm. And that is the question. 
that I ask all of the folks who come in looking for a job at Terroir. Um, and I'm amazed at how many people don't immediately respond with listener. Um, but it's what I charge us to do every day at this humble little joint that we need to listen more. And I can't speak for DC, but in New York, it seems that most of us want to talk and not enough mm -hmm. of us want to listen. So here. to you, are you, so you're a great <laughs> listener? I am. That I am. I like yeah. that. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Let's jump ahead. Your favorite word. I think my favorite word right now is access. And I think that I've been using that word a lot lately because a lot of us, a lot of us just don't have, just don't have it. Just don't, just don't have the access. I mean, access brought me here with you. You know, how would you have known about me? Access. You know, and I was thinking the other day, I was on a work call and I was coming from a grocery store, not in my neighborhood because I live in a food desert. So I don't know if you guys have food deserts in New York, but I live in one. So mm -hmm. I was coming from another neighborhood, going to the grocery store and I passed an elementary school and it was a line of cars outside. It was a line of cars outside and these were people getting free boxes of food. They were lined, they lined up every Tuesday to get free boxes of food because our food desert is so bad. And I'm on the work call and it hasn't really started yet. So everybody on my, on my call is talking about their beach houses and their lake houses and their vacation homes. I'm like, if this ain't some fucked up shit, I mean, all of these, these people have access to vacations right now. And I'm watching people lining up for free food. It's lack of access, and it's just like some people are born with it, and some people aren't, and it's just just crazy. It's crazy. Awesome word. I got two other. I got a part A and a part B. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite word a year ago? Ooh, what was my favorite word a year ago? A year ago is when I fell in love with Beaujolais. So I said Beaujolais a lot. <laughs> But your favorite wine is Cava, right? It is. That it is. Yes. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So Beaujolais a year ago, and this could be a hard one. What do you think your favorite word is going to be a year from now? Profit. Nice. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. All right. Let's dig deeper into the meat, so to speak, of the moment. Why has our industry failed to properly tell the stories of all the people in this, you know, I guess in this industry, let's begin there, and then to properly tell stories to appeal to all the people outside this business. Because all we want to do as wine lovers, mm -hmm. as wine educators, is spread the fucking gospel. Sure. And why have we sucked? Why have we failed to find those words to pull everyone in? You never had to. The, the industry is built on people who look a certain way. You know, there are, you know, the people who write about wine, especially the, the people who are, have all of these certifications and all of these 
professionals, they have looked a certain way. They have written for people who look a certain way, who look just like them. They've never had to include anybody else. But now, now they're being called out. People are being called out like, huh, it is pretty bland over there. Why don't you have any diversity? Why aren't you writing about anything but yourselves? And now they're being, they're, their hand is being forced and they gotta make some changes. So the, the answer is they've never had to, but now it may be a little different. To the, I guess the first, I should have divided that in half. To the first part of it, we as industry people talking. Yeah. When you read Karen McNeil, The Wine Bible or any of the Jancis yeah. Robinson stuff, the way if we went to a trade case and sat down and we were talking mm -hmm. about grape juice, we would use a vocabulary that we were brought up in. Yeah. Do you think that vocabulary, and then I guess what we did do was take that vocabulary outside the, the tasting room mm -hmm. and talk to our guests in our restaurant, our bars, retail shops, whatever the fuck they were, yeah. using that same language. Mm -hmm. When you first encountered those, those words, did you think they were inadequate for the broad stroke of people out there? Yeah, and I think that's why I took the responsibility to learn the meaning of the words used so I could use layman's terms and educate other people. You know, I needed to know how to talk to someone my mom's age who's just learning about wine, you know? And I think that was the, the major reason why I wanted to work at a winery. I wanted to learn the language too, but I also wanted to learn how to translate wine words into normalcy and like make people realize that this isn't a luxury that you can't be a part of it's for everybody um do you think your mother would be willing to learn about wine from me do you think she'd think <laughs> i'm off on my fucking rocker like, what, what, what would be the secret sauce for me to teach your mother about wine and maybe a better way of asking the question would be what were some of those uniform wine words that we were using and still do mm -hmm. that just don't play it when you get out and talk to the people who are not engaged in this shit? What wine words do you get pissed off at? Well, I feel like this is twofold. To answer the first part of your question, the word that won't translate to a lot of people is your name, terroir. <laughs> Nobody knows what the fuck that means. I know. Yeah. That's, Listen, that's no, no one ever accused me of being smart. Let's just begin there. <laughs> I chose a fucking name that no one can pronounce and they don't even fucking know its name or what it means. Like, bravo, fucking bravo. But anyway, I've never looked at this life as being an easy thing. So there you are. Yes. Yeah, so terroir yeah. off the list. Next up. Let's see what, what word pisses me off. Um, I don't know if there is a word that... I don't know if I have one that makes me angry. Uh, probably, probably varietal. Like, just, just say grape. They're, they're not going to differentiate the name. This is just, just stop. Don't, don't try to use varietal with regular people. It's who don't know wine. So just say the grape, you know, don't try to overcomplicate it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, are you now a better storyteller? about wine how are, what is your secret sauce 
hmm. for wine storytelling? I have always been a storyteller through food. And for me, food is my secret sauce because I can talk about food from sunup to sundown. People know food, you know? And if I say, hey, this is Gerichtermeter and they don't know how to say it, but I say, oh, well, you know what? On Friday night, what did you have for dinner? Did you have Chinese food? Next time, try Gerichtermeter, you know? <clears throat> I just try to simplify things. Even if they can't pronounce, shorten it. Just say Gewurz. You know, I'll write it down for you. It's not that complicated. The more you drink it, the more you'll get to know it. And the more, I mean, the more you can pair it with food. Wine pairing is not that hard. And do so, you think, yeah. do you think people really give a shit about that? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Because the, the thing is, I have turned so many palates by using chocolate cake. If so many people have told me, oh, I don't like red wine. I don't, I don't drink red wine. You sure about that? Okay. All right. Well, I want you to try it. Well, it wasn't necessarily chocolate cake, but I've had, we had, we had truffles in the tasting room. And I said, I will buy you one truffle and I bet you I can change your palate. So I, I would a lot of times treat people to a piece of chocolate and say, doesn't this change your mind about red wine? Don't you want to keep doing this again? Aren't you addicted now? It's, I mean, so yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you my secret chocolate story? Please. So many moons ago, when I was a somebody, uh, I was invited on to the Today Show. Uh, when I guess it used to be from 7 a.m. to at least 10 mm -hmm. and 9 a.m. to 10 um, was just fluff. It was the, the news went away and it was just all stuff. So they reached out uh, to me and said, uh, we want you to come on. It was a day before Valentine's. What are, what wine should one drink with Valentine's stuff? Mm -hmm. So the stuff I picked was obviously chocolate and I had five different expressions of it from a black forest cake, um, and I think I ended up with chocolate Haagen-Dazs. And when I got the chocolate Haagen-Dazs, I forget what the beverage was, but that's irrelevant to the story. Uh, and when <laughs> I said the match of the ice cream with the wine, it was like sex in your mouth. And I got to say that on NBC TV National. Oh, amen. Amen to that <laughs> shit. Anyway, so there you go. So back, back to the... Um, the meat of the matter. What wine stories, tell me two or three, mm -hmm. that are stories that must be told now that have either never been told or have been told improperly up till now that you want to wrap your arms around and run with? Mm -hmm. I don't think that do you know Mac <clears throat> of Vision Sellers? He's also in Napa. I, um, I have had Vision mm -hmm. Sellers wine at my restaurant. Mm -hmm. I think I only, I think they're with Winebow or they were with Winebow. Mm -hmm. I, I know the wines. I don't think I've ever met Mac. Uh, I have had the pleasure of sitting in his living room and listening to him talk. And I, I was just enamored with his thoughts and his perspectives 
and his views on wine and, you know, just this world. And that man needs a damn TV show. A, a camera can follow that man around and I would watch, I would watch him. I would listen to him all day, every day. And like, when I left there, I was like, God damn, I didn't, I didn't record a thing. I couldn't record a thing. I didn't want to be disrespectful and recording the whole time. I really wanted to be in the moment, but I feel like Mac's story needs to be told. Has he been a guest on uh, Swirl Suite yet? He has not. He has not. Yeah. Um, I got to make sure that he can get on properly. You know what? His wife will work it out. Yeah. Yeah. His wife will help. Yes. We have okay. to get on with the Swirl Suite. That's story number one. What yeah, else? This, let's see. Story number two. Okay. <clears throat> I think that... Okay. There are, I won't say her name because she'll kill me, but there is a winemaker that is up and coming. Uh, she was delayed a little bit by COVID, but there is going to be like the first black female winemaker in Maryland very soon. And her story needs to be covered from the beginning to her first release. Um, that's going to be pretty big. Um, yeah. Are you covering that story? I... Because she, she's not ready, she's not ready because COVID put her behind, you know, so far that she's not ready for the public to gear up for her yet, but I'm ready for it. Cool. Yeah. I, I think her story needs to be told because she used to work at a winery not too far from Black Ankle. So she, she definitely did her homework, did her time, did all the background. So I make sure it's for her. For her wines to come out so and do you have a third story for us let's see <sighs> i don't think i do okay i don't think i do yeah i like the people's stories yeah good stuff in there mm -hmm. and uh this might not have been my only jackass question of the day <laughs> um but and, and i really i don't want to appear to be a a moron but why is it and as I noted when I sent you the questions, mm -hmm. I've heard Julia Coney reference this, mm -hmm. Leslie referenced it. Why is it that I guess some Psalms, some wine people immediately think when you have a black diner in your restaurant that, oh, we gotta, we gotta break out the Muscat, or I gotta walk up to the table, drop the wine list and say, hey ladies, you know what? The sweet wines are in the back of the fucking list. Like what? <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from? I don't really know where it comes from, but it's definitely a microaggression. Um, and it's funny, working at a winery, that's, it's just not true. There are, there are so many other people of other races who come up. It's Sweet wine is familiar. It tastes like a fruit. It's, if you don't know about wine, a lot of times you start with sweet wine. Well, we all no did. Matter. Yeah. My, my first fucking wine back in the 80s was with Blue Nun, for God's sake. Sure. That's like, sure. that the gateway drug for all of us? And then yeah. we work our way. I, I mm -hmm. don't have to, but, but so have you ever had that happen to you? Uh, what? I've been accused of wanting no, to. No, 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 not, not accused, but that okay. you sit down and before mm -hmm. you even get to look at the wine list or the mm -hmm. buy the glass or yeah. figure shit out, someone says, do you want a glass of Muscat? No. Mm -mm. 
It's no, it hasn't happened to me, but I've seen it enough times. That is some crazy shit. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. All right. Okay. Enough of that. Let's let's <laughs> pretend that 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 mindset is fucking dead and buried right now. <laughs> um, your guiding phrase is "build your dreams, or someone will hire you to build theirs." That came from your mom, right? No, no. Actually, that came from I don't know some Instagram quote that I found years ago, and it stuck. <laughs> uh, have you built your dreams? I have not. Not even close. What dreams have yet to be built? I think that I think that TV and wine make a good marriage, but they haven't even met yet. And um, that's that's the path that I want to go in. I that is wine, the holy grail. Yeah, I think TV. Uh, I think wine needs to be on on TV on a network. I think uh, I actually think wine and spirits deserve their own network. What are you doing? I think you and the three ladies should start that shit. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how to get there. Trying to gain access. If, um, if, well, if you figure it out, don't tell me. Uh, mm -hmm. Just run with the goddamn things. But I, yeah. I know that people have been searching for that. There have been mm -hmm. some attempts, certainly over the years. Yeah. Have, do you yeah. have a favorite wine show that you've seen on TV? No, no, mm -mm. they're all kind of dry once they do make it to TV or a network. I mean, the wine guys are kind of cool. That's that's a cool concept. Have you watched that show before? I have not. Yeah, it's not bad, but um, no, not uh -huh. even on Netflix. They haven't even like the documentary style wine. Like, of course, on Court, the movie was awesome, that was fantastically done, but. Yeah, there hasn't been a TV show about wine that I've seen that I've really enjoyed. Not yet. Well, certainly uh, the movies, the Psalm documentaries opened sure. up a whole world. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're still reaping the benefits of that, at least on the retail and the, the restaurant side, that people are vitally interested mm -hmm. in this, wor this wine world of ours. And as you and I assume would agree, there are so many stories to tell yeah. and different ways to tell those stories yeah. that we haven't even broken the surface of yet. I think the best show I've seen, and I forget the TV channel it was on, but it was some obscure thing, was called The, um, the Thirsty Traveler. The Thirsty and Traveler. Yep. And it was, I think it only was on for one year. Hmm. And this gentleman did exactly what I would love to do. He visited a place, um, for instance, let's say Scotland for Scotch whiskey. Mm -hmm. And not only would he be in a distillery talking not so much about how the whiskey was made, but that would be part of it. Yeah. But he would be out walking across the landscape so we could see the moors, we could see the peat bogs, we, all the elements. And then they recreated some historical shit, all of that, yeah. that I, I, I love history. And that is the part of the world of wine that I love to tell. I guess I could say this show, Drunken History. Oh, sure. But I, I would, because I recognize that I work with a drug and I don't want to abuse that drug, um, that type of overt drunkenness, I am not yeah. a fan of. I, I like that they're telling that, that 
beverages are a part of it, but that's mm-hmm. not my thing. Yeah. All right. So any other dreams that you have yet to build? Nope. That's the only one. The only one. Nice. Mm-hmm. And to get a sponsor for the pod. Oh gosh. That's yes. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's fucking achievable. Right. That's going right. to happen yeah. before 2020. That's going to goddamn happen. All right. All right. So now, now the easy shift, Sarita. Okay. Two people, mm-hmm. dinner. Okay. Who are those two people going to be? Okay. So I chose to choose two people who are still on this earth. So this can actually happen. So actually, you can call this my second dream. But my first person, Carla Hall. Chef hmm. Carla Hall. Okay. Uh, love, love, love her personality. She actually lives here. And I have met her twice. So, um, and we have had an extensive conversation. Of course, she doesn't remember, but she has had, uh, she taught me how to, she talked me through how to make biscuits. I still don't know how to make them. So um, I need to talk to her again. But um, yeah, I love her personality. I love the way she cooks. I love the way she communicates with people. And um, yes, so she's my first guest. My second guest is Andre Leon Talley. Oh. Okay. So I was recently reminded of his greatness watching his documentary on Hulu this week. And now I'm reading his book. And God, he's just a fabulous man. And I actually have a secret obsession with, with fashion. My fashion sense is more quiet. <laughs> I... um. I would say, like, my, my fashion sense is more of, you remember the time when Julia Roberts used to wear the white-collar shirt and jeans everywhere she went? That's kind of me. That's kind of me. And um, me and Andre, I feel like we both like capes. You know, the flowy capes that he wears? Um, and he's just a really interesting man, just being himself growing up in the Deep South. And I would love to sit down. And, um, and actually, I would like to cook with both of them. Well, that's going to go easily into the next question of, so yeah. what's for dinner? Okay. So because Carla knows how to make biscuits and Andre loves biscuits, we have to make biscuits. Okay. Maybe biscuits with something like caviar for an appetizer. Okay. Follow cool. me. And because, you know, I'm from this area and crabs are a thing, we would just make a big, huge crab boil with blue crabs. So it's one thing to break bread with somebody, but when you break crabs with somebody, that's that's that's, that's some heavy lifting. Exactly, you can be there for a while. <laughs> so just can imagine the stories that'll be told across this meal. Okay, and the grape juice that you are going to drink with this incredible meal. Okay, so Carla doesn't drink, but we would have to we would have to choose a, a really good cava, but. I think one of my favorite wines is a sparkling Malbec from Guggenheim. It's from Argentina. Repeat that again. What? It's a sparkling Malbec and it's from Argentina and the winemaker is Guggenheim and it is fantastic. So just bottles of Guggenheim with the crabs. It's so good. So bubbles right through the meal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And, uh, the soundtrack, obvious? So, not too obvious. I think I would go um, in another direction. Um, 
of course I'm from DC. We have to start out with Chuck Brown. Okay. Yep. Have a little go-go at the beginning. And then we're going to make it jazzy. So I would do some Esperanza Spalding, maybe some Raphael Sadiq, a little Tribe Called Quest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, keep it jazzy. That's what I do. We apologize in the image that we um, created for you. I hope you were cool with that. Oh, that's the, fine. The, the Capitol blowing up was from the, <laughs> the Bad Brain song, Smash DC. I, I hope you're all right with that. Oh, it's fine. Just Okay, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. So, Serena, there we are. That is our conversation. I hope you were cool with that. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you for giving me so many chances. And I'm sorry my Instagram was so fucked up. I really have to figure that out. Yeah, and listen, as I said a, a few times, if you determine that it's me, just send me an email and say, fuck you, Paul. It's all you, <laughs> goddammit. I will accept that. And believe me, you won't be the first one today to tell me that either. So, so I, with, the only thing that's left is that uh, when we get to the other side mm -hmm. of this pandemic, mm -hmm. I have to come down to DC for a few reasons, mm -hmm. one of which is uh, to report you to the federal government for being a spy <laughs> and um, uh, go pay homage to Jose Andres for all the incredible work that uh, World Central Kitchen uh, has done for all of us. Uh, to meet you, um, to see Julia, who I've met once or twice, but mm -hmm. she's another DC uh, lady. Uh, mm -hmm. But I hope we can break bread uh, and that I can toast you in person. But thank you so yeah. much for taking the time um, and for allowing me to learn a little bit about you. And I wish you Godspeed in getting that advertiser so Squirrel Sweep can be taken to whatever level you want that thing to be taken to. Thank you so much. I really appreciate, appreciate you having me on your platform. This has been great. <laughs> it's been you and me. Yeah. Whoa, fuck. Yeah. All right, Tudor, listen, have a, a great day. Please remain safe and healthy um, and get to the other side of this goddamn thing. All right. All right. You too. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining this world speak guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, a lot of you have been sending me DMS and emails about what you can do to support the podcast. Just listen and share. That's simply it. Make us look good. We love comments. We love um, social media interaction. All of those numbers make us look good. So that's how you can help us. We've been added to two new platforms, Luminary and iHeartRadio. So you can literally find us anywhere. Cheers and have a great holiday weekend. Hey there, listener. Do you have something to say? Then you're already a podcaster. You just don't know it yet. Whether you love to shoot the breeze with friends, have an urge to share your passions with the world, or even want to grow your business, you've got something worth saying with a podcast. With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start your own show. Launch, grow, and make money from your podcast across all listening platforms. If you have something to say, you're a podcaster. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free.